0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and his mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This last weekend, I was out of town and uh, I was able to perform a wedding, and from time to time, uh, when I do that, uh, it, it's, it's really a sweet thing. I get to walk with couples through premarital counseling, and then when I perform a wedding, um, I have kind of a typical ritual I do. Some of you in here have actually performed your wedding for you, and uh, you may remember this, but, you know, when uh, rehearsal comes, uh, we walk through everything, and then uh, day of the, the wedding, I will... Uh, get there about an hour early it 's kind of my typical walkthrough and ritual and i 'll get there an hour early and I like to, to pray with the both the bridesmaids and the groomsmen so, uh, so I get go find the you know bridesmaids and, and, and pray with them, and then pray with the groomsmen before everything kind of begins and and um, I always um, without fail, pray for the ceremony and um, pray for uh, that day, I pray, you know, it, it, this glorious picture that we're go- about to see with with Christ and His Church, and in the Bible actually talks about the wedding being that picture of of the the groom standing and, and the bride coming down, whatever aisle that may be, indoors, outdoors, wherever it is. Uh, this that beautiful picture of the Church coming to uh, the Lord, and I always love watching. First the bride, and then I turn and watch the groom and just love to see the tears pour down their face because it's just so rich. And I always pray for that. And they typically expect me to pray for that. But what I also pray for is the reception. And, and how I always pray for it is this. I say, Lord, thank you for that. And let every word of the ceremony, everything get soaked up. And then when I move to praying for this, the reception, I say, and Lord, then let us party. And I always get, the, get a laugh or a snicker or a smile just as you gave me. And, um, and I talk about the party and I say, Lord, as much as the ceremony, uh, the, the party points to you as well. And, um, and, and I think I get a lot of laughter and um, maybe some people are uncomfortable. I can't tell. because One, it's that this guy's praying for a party. Uh, that's kind of funny. And I talk about eating and dancing and drinking and, and being together and um, celebrating, but I also wonder if it, it makes people think, huh, I mean, yeah, here's this guy, I expect him to pray for the ceremony. Isn't that what the pastor's for? I mean, you know, that's what he's there for. You get this thing done, like you go to the ceremony, <laughs> get it taken care of, and, and you pray for that, and they expect that, but they don't expect to pray for the party, the reception, like how is it connected to that? And then I also think there may be some laughter because I wonder if how many people actually connect what it means to follow Jesus to the party. I'm about to read you a parable that Jesus uh, talks about a party, a banquet. And uh, if you've ever noticed or read in the Gospels, and if if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, in the Gospels, the, the narrative accounts of Jesus... There are not only a number of places where Jesus is eating with people, but there are other places, a number of places where he's talking about eating and partying and celebrating and banquets. And when he does, he's really want a lot of very important things happen there. So this actual parable takes place when they're at, he's eating with someone and then tells about another party. So here this from Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 24. He said also to the man who had invited him, that is, who invited Jesus, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent the servant to say to those who, he had, been, who had been invited, Come, for everything now is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. First said to him, I've, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought a five yoke of oxen and I, 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 go, I have to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I, I've married a wife and therefore cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Why would Jesus have this? (laughs) Why have this discussion? Jesus is having this discussion about a banquet at a dinner. And many of these dinners would take place and you would usually have somebody at your dinner like Jesus because you wanted to investigate them. Somebody popular, somebody important, you brought them to your your house. Let's have a dinner. Let's check this person out. And the guy blurts out after Jesus kind of talks about what a dinner should be. Don't invite just all the people you expect. Invite the people that wouldn't. He goes, oh, blessed are many who would eat. Blessed is anyone who would eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, he's not just yelling that out because he's, you know, excited. He's yelling that out almost declaratively like, where do you stand on this? Because they wanted to see what was up with this Jesus guy. And they really want to investigate him in two ways, and that we're going to look at this parable. One is, what is the hospitality that Jesus is trying to get across that God has, and what a true banquet, what a true wedding supper looks like, and what does the generosity look like from that host. So the hospitality and generosity. The people ate quite a bit, and when they did at the event, it was always a social thing. It was a little bit more than just, hey, we're gonna throw a party, come on over. It was, hey, who you invited was always important about your social climbing. Had a lot to do with it. And at this particular meal where Jesus is eating himself is at a Pharisee's house. Just before this, where it ran right into verse 12, it said, he said also, there was some discussion before that about the Sabbath. So Jesus, think about this. Jesus is, th- is this really important figure on the scene. He's healed many. He's discussed many things. He's, he's actually brought fed 5,000 people with such little food. He is a very important figure. And they're like, eh, come to our dinner. Let's check this guy out. So in that room is a lot of social power, a lot of social currency and prestige is being exchanged in that room. And yes, it was a real expected moment for them to try and say, Hey Jesus, what do you think about these things? And Jesus says, when you give a dinner or banquet, and don't you love it? Like, what a great guest Jesus is to tell you what your party's like. <laughs> you, you know, you throw a party, and Jesus is like, hey, you know, let me tell you what your party should be like. You're like, oh, thanks. You didn't do that. You didn't come give criticism of the party. But he's connecting it when this man yells out, blessed are those who eat, that the party, the banquet, this is a taste, this is a picture Of what's our future the messianic dinner the messianic meal when someone's gonna come and bring it all in now here's what's interesting about their meals different than our meals our meals really center around the food itself if you think about our meals and what we like harp on what do we talk about all the time is it organic is it cage free? Did the animal get to run around in the cage before it was killed and I ate it? Like, how do we, you know, like they're, they're talking about how many food channels we have? Like, how many items on the shelf have changed over the years, right? What's out of stock? Well, it's always that one thing we're trying to get, everybody wants to get because they think it's the healthiest thing. Well, okay. What are they focused on? The people. You know, the food's important, but what they're focused on is who's the host? And who are the people around the table? The food just points to it. And it's to highlight to us that you, when you had a party, when you threw something like this, it's to help bolster your social standing. So, whoever's hosting this party is hoping what they will get out of this is hey, my party was next level, my dinner was next level. I had Jesus, we're close now. <laughs> They were hoping that their hospitality was the best. But Jesus says, let me tell you about what true hospitality is. When you give a dinner, verse 12, or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Because the social currency of a dinner was, if you could throw this party as a host, you are expecting them to give it back to you. In fact, when people walk into these parties, you were supposed to shower compliments on all of your guests, usually probably hollow. Oh, it's so wonderful to have you. No, 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 no. The host would over-lavish their time with those guests that came in. In order to get reciprocity back from whoever's coming, it reminds me of that line from a Counting Crows song. I don't know if any of y'all love Counting Crows. I still enjoy Counting Crows. They have a line from Mrs. Potter's Lullaby, that like 10 minute long song. It's all about him hating how he has to host these parties. And he says this line in there that is so profound. He says, I dream I never know anyone at the party, and yet I'm always the host. That's more of the heart of where Jesus is, is driving back. Is they, they're they're not doing this because they really care about the people there. They're doing it so that they can be in social standing. And you know what's interesting about this? When Jesus brings this up, he says in verse 13 and 14, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. And then he goes into this parable and, and retort of this guy's cry. He's bringing up a 700-year-old conversation. A conversation that has been going on and on for 700 years. It goes all the way back to Isaiah's time. Now, not 700 years from our time, 2023, but from Jesus' time backwards. That when in Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 8, this talks about what kind of meal it's supposed to be. Listen to this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. You can even hear some rings of that all the way from Isaiah to Revelation to the other end of the Bible. That's what the banquet's supposed to be. That's what the party is supposed to be. But what are they doing? Then they start bringing out, they're like, blessed is everyone who will eat of the kingdom of God. He says, okay, I hear you. That's great. Thanks for shouting, even though I just talked about this. It's great. Let me tell you a Parable. He tells about a man who gave a banquet, invited many, and then what? Major middle of this entire passage is about their excuses. And here's how a party would go. In their time, they would give somewhat of a save the date kind of thing, where they'd send it out, and you'd get it, and you'd go, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'll put that on my calendar. And then day of, they would send somebody else out into the town or city, and they would say, hey, party's today come on in, and they had to figure out that so they could make the right amount of meat and drink and have everything prepared. And so these people not only got to save the date, they were coming in. And they actually went into the party and then started saying things like, oh man, I got some oxen I gotta go take a look at. And not many of us are like, I don't really have that excuse. But you know what we're really good at? On the Evites, the maybe and the no, and then the comment section? How good are we at trying to figure out what to say? And then I can't come, I've got so many other things. No, no, and why do they even put a maybe in there on the Evites? Like, that's the worst idea ever. (laughs) Because then we're like, oh, then I can get away with not saying no, it's perfect. Non-confrontational maybe, love it. Even on my calendar, I can push maybe, and, I, and it doesn't show up, you know, if you put yes, it's solid, no, it doesn't show up, maybe it's all those hash lines. So you're like, oh yeah, that gives me like, makes me feel like I don't really have to commit. That's exactly what's happening. And in fact, the excuses they make are so of every day that they not only would infuriate people, they were laughable. It would be very similar to, oh, you know, I forgot, I need to mow my lawn, so I need to leave. And they're already at the party. (laughs) But what are they doing? They're receiving the invitation. They're receiving their opportunity to go to the party. But they're not rejecting their invitation. They're lavishing in the fact that they they get this invitation. They're rejecting the host. See, what they're doing is... is (laughs) is rejecting not the invitation or the party itself. They're saying to the host, you're fine and all. This is great. But I got these other things in life that are going on, and this party's kind of like, meh. So I'm going to go take care of those things. It was such a colossal, radical rejection of the host in that parable. Everyone around that table would have been like, no one would ever do that to me. And if they did, they would be an outcast. But you know what Jesus is trying to draw up? The fact that they are equating not the party, but the host to the importance of things that they have in their life. Let me ask you a question. Does church bore you Does being a part of Christianity just cause you to go, man, I've been at the party. It's not that great. I've done this thing for years, like maybe here, there. I mean, what's, why? Why do it? Why be engaged in this? I mean, you're here this morning, but what keeps you here? What makes you come back? I mean, maybe some of you are here for coming back into the church and you're like, yeah, I was kind of wondering that myself. I have people asking me that at work. I have people that are kind of like, uh, eh, I did that for a while. You know what Jesus is getting at? He's saying the reason that we're there is we've lost the fact that we, <laughs> that the party isn't about how great it is, but of who's hosting it. And we've begun looking at this, granted, like everything else. This gathering this morning isn't about me. It isn't about you. It isn't about the invitation. It isn't like it's just to be something else in your week. It's actually to highlight who are we actually in relationship with. Because I'll bet for many of us, That the boredom, the cynicism, the the drab, the what keeps me engaged, why do this thing anymore is because we've started equating our relationship with God to anything else. And there are plenty of other practical things I need to take care of in life. Isn't that honestly where we go? When you wake up and you go, man, I'll go to the 1030 because I don't have to wake up as early those 8.30 suckers. Uh, well, that's not, okay, I got some sleep, but I'll go, yeah. Why are we here? Is this about a party? Is this about being with the king, or has it really become that drab thing? And, and we need to ask that of ourselves. That's what Jesus is wanting to get to the heart of. That the hospitality of who's actually throwing this banquet is a lot more than what it is. Otherwise, it's just like anything else. And there's no distinguishing marker. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote an essay in a collection. You've probably heard of The Weight of Glory is the collection of essays. In that, he wrote an essay called The Inner Ring. And uh, some of you have read that. Some of you I may have read it with you. Uh, it's a fantastic essay. And the whole essay begins with, Um, a senior advisor in the military who is completely snubbed by a very inferior uh, advisor in the military, not based on anything, medals or markers on their chest, but simply because of their social network. And Lewis begins to draw out the fact that all of us have these circles that we want to be a part of and that we utilize, and that we want to break into, and we want to keep. And he actually zeroes in on the fact that we try and make these circles, and try and these rings, these inner rings, in order to to gain intimacy or keep it, in order to have a badge of it, and yet we're all isolated and lonely. Why does it feel like so many people in Nashville feel like Nashville is a place where everybody keeps you at arm's length? Because we all want to be on an inner circle, And yet, do people really know me or do do I know them? Listen to what Lewis says. and and (laughs) He wrote this years ago in another country. And think about how perfect this is for this time. The desire which draws us into inner rings is another matter. A thing may be morally neutral, and yet the desire for that thing may be dangerous. Unless you take a measure to prevent it, this desire is going to be one of the chief motives of your life. From the moment you enter your profession until you are too old to care, if you do nothing about it, if you drift with the stream, you will in fact be an inner ringer. I don't say that you'll be a successful one, that as may be, but whether by pining and moping outside the rings that you can never enter or by passing triumphantly further and further in, one way or the other, you will be of that kind of man. That is a very stark assessment of what the host of this party is wanting to do and of of the difference of what Jesus is saying. What is the banquet that God is throwing? Who is he bringing in? It's with radical generosity. Notice what happens in this parable. It moves from all the excuses. And then the servant came, verse 21, and reported these things to the master. And the master of the house became very angry and then said to his servant, and his anger moves quickly to graciousness. And says, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Now, at first you could read that and you go, man, Christianity is talking about, yes, and we should be reaching out in those ways into the city. But it doesn't stop with just the idea of, oh, man, that's sweet, what God's doing. Do you know there's more to it? Because what was expected when you were invited to these parties was to give back, that it would give you some sort of meritocracy, some sort of payback, (laughs) But if you notice who he's inviting, these people can't pay back anything. There's no reciprocity that can be done there. There's nothing they can hand back that's going to give them some sort of credit or social standing back into society. In fact, they were the marginalized. They were put to the side. Many of them were not even allowed to go into worship service or other places because of their issues. If you read of the the, those lame, poor, uh, those marginalized throughout the rest of the gospels, you see that. They're the ones that the Pharisees are like, why is Jesus going to these people? It's not like he's going to build his ministry on that. Oh, you bet he will. Jesus is saying that the banquet is about not what you can give back to him, but of who he goes to get. I remember my son coming back from a moment. (laughs) He mentioned this one point uh, years ago from somebody's house, and he told me something about, hey, they, they were having paybacks. And I was like, paybacks? It's like, well, yeah, if somebody does something wrong to you, you pay them back. Like, you do something wrong back. And I was like, huh. But you know what he's saying? He's saying what we all know and believe. We all live in a meritocracy enough where we believe that life is about paybacks. Like if I come here, God, you kind of owe me a little bit. I expect things to work out in my life. My job, I'm showing up every day. Like somebody does something wrong to me, I'm going to snub them. Could be a Facebook snub, but I'm still going to snub them. We live our lives that way. And yet, you know what? The radical generosity that this parable is showing us, who does God invite to his party? The people that are snubbed. The people that can't give anything back. He says, are you going to come? Come on. Invited, they're in. Those who we wouldn't think, those who we wouldn't even want to come. That's who these people are. And you know what goes further? It says even in verse 23 uh, of verse 22, it says, And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there's room. Now, remember, the parable isn't about reading anything everything, but it's one through line that goes through it. What is the main thing we're supposed to understand? Is what is it, who is this for? Who's the banquet for? Verse 23, And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel the people to compel, come in that my house may be filled. Now, at first you may think, compel the people to come in. He's going out and like grabbing an arm and saying, No, get in here. We're going to have a party right now. That sounds horrible. <laughs> We're going to party and that's going to be fun. <laughs> that's not what's happening. Do you know why the compelling and how they would read that in Greek to compel someone in meant that they so didn't believe that the invitation was for them, they had to be compelled in. It was the fact that when the invitation went out second time, third time, go to the highways and hedges to the people who when first initiated in this parable, Jesus was asked, blessed are those in the kingdom. And they thought, yes, blessed are those who keep God's law. No, here's the party. The party. It's for those who don't even think they're invited. And when they even get the first invitation, they go, how could it be me? That's what it means to be compelled. It's an overwhelming generosity. It's so profound. It reminds me of, golly, I remember I was I had the privilege, and a, a friend of mine was a chaplain for the Titans at one point. He had me... Go speak to them, and after I spoke to them at this Bible study, I got to go eat in their in their cafeteria. It's not a cafeteria; it's like a nice restaurant kind of thing, buffets of every sort. And here I am in line getting whatever I wanted, and here comes Derek Henry right next to me. Here comes all these guys, like boom, boom. I'm like, uh, I know you. I mean, and, and funny thing, they were riding around on. On hoverboards, I'm like, are you really that tired from practice? Like, "Mm," they're like this, you know, they're like going wherever they want. I'm like, whoa, okay. I'm sitting there looking at these guys going, how did I get in here? That is exactly what it is. That is what this banquet is for. And the application of it for us is to say this thing. This is a come-as-you-are party, but it is not a stay-as-you-are party. It is to remind you, you have no warrant, no earning power, no merit, nothing that would, that would warrant you to this party. And yet, at the same time, you can't leave this party the same. Yeah, we could talk about the food. We could talk about the air of it, but you know what? It's because of the host. It's because of the host. And the the pressing point for us as a church is to say this Is our church extending the invitation in the same way as the great host does? Are we comfortable? having the invitation with all the excuses and all the things, are we wanting to extend it to those in the highways and hedges of this city? Literally. Not just figuratively. Those that we might not think would come to church or be in a connect group or have coffee with us and experience the great party. I'll tell you what, there's no better illustration than this one right in front of us. There's no better way to end this entire parable than to see this. Because this is a beauty of the feast of the host. Every week I say something here and it's called fencing the table. And I know that sounds like fencing the table, that sounds kind of rough. (laughs) But I say this, I say this is not my table and this is not... Christ Presbyterian's table. This is Jesus' table. And the reason I say that is to fence it and say, this table is not about you coming based on something I created, this church created. It's based on the host, Jesus. He set this table. And it means that we can only take of this table if we're coming in relationship to the host, not because it's a party and everybody's here. (laughs) Because it is. I mean, in a minute... There'll be music playing. You can sing. You can come forward. It's a celebration. This is a taste of the party. But it is based on the host. It's based on what he's done. We receive the invitation. And guess what? Different than the fatted calf, different than any sort of delicacy that God could set up for us, what we come and eat at this table is the son himself. There is no other religion, philosophy, or idea, no other meritocracy, no other payback that happens. If we bring any of that to this table thinking we deserve that, there's no way we can receive it. The cost that the host incurred of the banquet was to himself. Guess what the cost was? For the host, his son. So that you can come rub shoulders with people at this table. And, and know that this isn't about you. This is about him. And yet it is all about transforming you. You can come to this table and can't believe that you get to taste and see that the Lord is good. This isn't just bread and wine. This is God saying, let me show you how you're really fed by faith. That I feed you with my very self. So that you can come as you are to this table, but you can't stay as you are. You have to leave this table totally different and take the party with you. (laughs) You take the party with you and extend the invitation that you've received. And and don't come to this table, again, just as a reminder. You don't want to come to this table if you're here and you're like, man, that, that sounds great. Parables, cool, but I don't know where I'm in relationship with Jesus. Man, be honest about that. He wants you to. You don't want to make excuses and say that and just take it like everyone else is. You want this to be what it is. Take at this table because the Lord has set it up for you. And so either remain in your seat or come forward, fold your hands, receive the benediction, or, and come find me after. I would love to talk to you about this. We could talk as deep, as theologically, philosophically, or as light as hell as experientially just ruined you. But let's talk about it. And if you're here this morning, you say, Man, I struggle. Amen. Come taste the host of the party and let your shoulders drop and let your heart be filled with joy and be reminded again. Amen. Let's stand together.